Let's give God the praise. Hallelujah. He is alone is worthy today. He alone is worthy today. Thank God. And as we were, as that song was being sung today, that he's ordering our steps, ordering our paths, I thank God that he knows what exactly he is doing. And uh, I thank God for that. Amen. And it is good to be with you. I always is counted a privilege to be at the Cornerstone Church. And we appreciate Brother and Sister Mayo so much. And uh, they have been a blessing to us. And I tell you what, the conferences and the times together and the Holy Ghost has just been awesome. But I appreciate his leadership in the Northwest. Appreciate what is taking place. I believe that we're going to see in revival. And it's God's plan and his hand upon us. Amen. And upon this church, it's exciting to see the visitors here and just want you to be welcome. Amen. I, I may be a visitor myself to a degree, but I want to welcome everybody. <laughs> Thank God. And God is good and it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. And so as we get ready to get into the word of God, I, I just thank God. His word is forever settled in heaven. It's something concrete. It's something absolute. Our world doesn't have many absolutes today. But this is something that you can bank on. This is something you can live by. This is something that you can put down in your heart and life and be able to stand and know that it's a sure anchor, Hebrews says. It's a sure anchor of your soul. Thank God. It's the word of God because God cannot lie. Amen. He swore by no greater than himself. He is an awesome God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23. Ezekiel 44 and 23. And uh, as we begin to look at these things, I, I want to say that where, where we're going today, we're talking about the human will. This may sound strange to use this verse and talk about the human will, but we'll see where God takes us. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. Profane means that it was irreligious. It's where we get the word profanity. He said, make a difference between the holy and the profane. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. God was establishing a separation. A distinct separation here. And he said, from this point on, teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. Cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Amen. Just want to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray together here right now. Jesus, we call upon you here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to enter into your presence. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that we already feel and know is in this place. God, I know that you're able to touch hearts and lives. Lord, you're able to take the word and multiply. Lord, to meet the need of every heart and life here today. Lord, I'm believing you to do a mighty work, God. Let it be for your honor and your glory. It's for the kingdom of the living God. In Jesus' precious name today. 
thank God. Thank God. You may be seated. I'll be going to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. What I am desiring today is to begin to help you see. Uh, there, there are stages of our walk with God. There are, there are things that God is developing in each and every one of us. He begins to work on us. And from the time that we are initially introduced and begin to be aware of the presence of God, and, and uh, as time goes, we become aware of the Word of God, become aware of the things that God has asked and, and put in there before His people. And and it's part of our obedience. All of these things are in place. But uh, in, in each and every one of our walks with God, there is a stage. There are times. There are seasons that we go through and as we begin to grow in God. And one of the areas that we consistently, I can promise you it doesn't make any difference how long, uh, you know, as far as living for God and pastoring, whatever the case. We, we could go over all of that time frame. But I can promise you that the battle with the will is still never ending. I'm convinced that the battle of the will is something you and I will deal with and face crossroads and decision points all the way through our life till we draw our final breath. There is always going to be a given an opportunity. When you look at Abraham and we see him going through the experiences and looking for a son and God promising him a son and it not seeming to happen and things it just over a long period of time. And finally when Isaac is born and he's grown up and in fact has become a young man and the time comes when God says take your only son Isaac and take him to Mount Moriah and offer him for a sacrifice. And when I look at Abraham, here he is at this late stage of the game. Certainly by now he should have proved all of those things and everything been in place. And yet God asked him for one final test, one more time. And when he gets to Mount Moriah there and begins to set up the altar and puts Isaac on the altar there, his son submitted to him there, and he was ready to, uh, to slay his son. That was what was there. That's what God had asked. That's what he was ready to do. And when you see that the, as, as God stops him right there at that point, he said, Now I know. Now I know. Because you have not withheld your only son. It was right at the very end. And I'm confident that you and I are facing, there are things that are constantly going to come. There's, there's decisions, there's situations, there's circumstances, there's things that are going to test our will. Now, initially, and I, I want to help you just understand, this, is, this really affects us predominantly in two phases there and and so there's an initial phase when we come to God it's a surrender of our will there to yield to him you know we, we come and begin to realize that God is dealing with us he's drawing us and we enjoy we feel the presence of God God sweeps over our soul the tears flow we know that God is real there's something drawn us by the power of the Holy Ghost and at the same time uh, right there there is something within each and every one of us and, and uh, our pride gets in the way and a lot of things get in the way and we you know uh, you, preacher you're asking me to come up front wait a minute I, I just soon stay back here I'm not ready to do that kind of thing and it's our will it's our will that's what we're dealing with 
It doesn't matter. It'll be a little while later. You've been in church for a while. Things have been going pretty good, and some preacher will come along, and he'll be preaching. Your pastor will be preaching and letting you know there's some things you just haven't submitted to God, and this is why you're struggling. And, and uh, you know, then, then you go through uh, circumstances. I, I remember one time my pastor had preached a tremendous message, and, and God was dealing with me, and, and uh, at that time, I was involved with the music, and, and so I felt like I needed to be involved with the music at the altar call, which I typically was, and I put it in my mind. I said, okay, God, uh, tomorrow when we have prayer at 6 in the morning, I'll, t I'll, I'll talk to you about that at, at that time. And so I, I went on, took care of the music, and the next morning I got there at 6 o'clock with everybody else, and I started praying and remembering what the pastor had preached, and, and it just wasn't the same. The drawing of the Spirit was not the same. God's timing was what he was looking for and yielding to his Spirit. And it was needful. I want you to understand, these are things that every one of us, is, at different times, we go through things as we begin to yield ourselves unto the Spirit of Almighty God. And you come to a place where it, as you grow in God, it's, it's there and you become more adept at realizing what it is and, and beginning to respond to God and yielding to God. Then there comes a phase that goes beyond that point where you have, you have come to a point Pretty well being able to, you know, I've had people say, well, you don't have any problems. You know, you're a preacher. You've lived this way all your life. No, that's not true. It's just there's some things I've overcome with the help of God. I just haven't, I don't have to go back there. Those things have been done. It's like I've said, that, you know, that, that young recruit that's just got to boot camp sees the decorated general and says, man, look at him. He never has to do any push-ups. No, he did his. There was a time and a place. And so it is in living for God. Well, there may be some battles that I don't have to fight at this stage of the game, but there's new ones. Not only that, but this is that second phase of the will there that comes where God is ready to use you in a capacity. It's, it's no longer just to only just about you. It's about the kingdom. And all of a sudden, you've got some responsibilities. And what are you going to do with the will of God at that point? Are you going to use it there to bring glory to yourself? Are you going to use it there to take things another direction? What are you going to do with the will of God? Or are you going to use it for the mighty power of the kingdom of God and see things go forward and be trusted with the, that? And God be able to use your will. You have to have a will in order to accomplish anything for God. You can't do it and just at that point you've got to go beyond just the aspect there's submission remains, but now you've got to move forward in direction. The church will never grow. You'll never grow without some drive, without something there that leads you beyond where you are today. That just means there's going to be some different battles, a different way of fighting, a different avenue. A different thing. It's going to carry you beyond where you are today. And so God is going to test your will. So let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 1. We begin to pick up an interesting story here. And I know this is a little bit lengthy reading, but let's take a look at it. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. 
He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after that the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. If you've ever noticed in Kings and there uh, in Chronicles and Kings there, it talks about the mothers. Every time you read about a king, you'll find out about his mother's name. She had a tremendous influence on these young men. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now, this was a, this was a condition. It, it just was recognizing right here what Uzziah, what the qualification was, that he, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines, break down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod among the Philistines, part of where the giants were at. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gerbal and the Mahumans. These were some of the giants as well. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad to the entering end of Egypt. In other words, there were nations that feared Uzziah and his army, and they were willing to come up with, with tribute money. They were willing to come up with gifts to keep him from invading them. They were willing to, you know, placate him, and he, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. And he built towers in the desert, digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. This is not a guy that's sitting back with his feet on the desk. <laughs> this is, you just look at this guy. I mean, he, it, it's, it, you know, it's obviously impossible for him to have done everything himself. It talks about him doing it, but he's the king. This is a guy who's delegating some things. This is a guy that's got the vision. This is a guy who sees what needs to be done. He's got things in mind. He's always two or three steps ahead. He's, got, he's moving on. He's got things happening with the army. He's got things happening with the animals. He's got things happening with the vine dressing. He's got things happening over here. He's got things, you know, he's moving. He's got something going. Let me tell you, God wants to, some people that have got something in them that wants to drive forward and see the kingdom of God moving forward, not just waiting on something, but God has got a plan. Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. And the whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600, 2,600 generals. And under their hand was an army, 300,000, 7,500, that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the hosts, shields, spears, helmets, habergons, bows, and slings to cast stones. Let me tell you, he's not, he's not sitting around idle. Every time you look at it and see something, something's happening. Something's being built. Something's being made. Something's being constructed. He's, he's increasing. He's working at it. He's not letting any stones be unturned. He's driving forward. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on towers and upon bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. There again, in fact, they attribute there that it's very likely that it's Uzziah who invented the catapult and some of the other uh, instruments of war there at that time. 
and his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Now, there wasn't anything wrong with him being strong. It's what he did with the strength he'd gained. You have to understand, God wants to take you to great places. God wants to see you mightily used in the kingdom. God wants to see you going forward in great and, and glorious things and seeing the work of God being used mightily. But there can come a place, if we're not careful, where our will starts getting in the way. All of a sudden, it's going to be tested what we're going to do with it, how we're going to respond to it, what we're going to allow to affect us, what kind of mindset we begin to have. And God knows what he's doing. He's working on you and I. He sees that little root of pride. He sees that little bit of arrogance. He sees those things that begin to want to rise up. He begins to see that, that attitude that begins to come in place. Let me tell you, God puts you in leadership for a reason. God gives you an opportunity to move forward in whatever capacity he's going to do. But there's a lot of times there comes a point in time when all of a sudden you begin to get some kind of a crazy idea in your mind. You know, I, I really don't like the way pastor does this. I think it should be, you better think again. Better think again. You're being tempted there to elevate yourself. Now, it isn't a matter that the pastor is absolutely infallible. Not at all. I'm not talking about that. There's a time and a place to bring it to an appropriate meeting and bring the idea. The idea may be well and good, and it may be something that is, is appropriate. But God has appointed the pastor as the leadership of the church and put him there responsible for what is taking place. And we're working under the, the shepherd. That's where we've got to work. It's not there to rise and put ourselves in a place up and above or to draw others to ourselves. And your attitude and your will and the direction you're going is going to be tested on either side. And Uzziah. Scripture says in verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. I mean, he'd conquered everything. He'd built all kinds of war engines. He'd done, he had a magnificent name. He had little things going for him. And all of a sudden, he got some kind of a crazy idea. You know? I've never offered incense. I'm going to go offer incense. Now, he just all of a sudden got it in his mind. His will rose up to do something that he had no business doing. Entering into an arena he had no business in being in. That was only appointed by the priests. It was done there by the priesthood and them only. It was as those that were sanctified unto God. It was an area he did not belong in in any sense of the word. It didn't matter whether he could physically do it. It had to do with his recognition of what the law said, what the word said, what God had said. It was a violation there that went much deeper than just simply walking through 
and those tents and, and into that area there and picking up a censer like he did. It, had, it was more than just what he could do. Yes, he could do that physically. And there's a lot of times where the enemy begins to blind an eye to things. And you begin to look at it and think, wait a minute, I can do that too. No, wait just a minute. There's a place and a time. And God knows where he's taking you. And God wants to use you. But it's got to be, he's got to test your will. He's got to know what you're going to do with it. He's got to know where you're going to go with it. He's got to see what he can do there and what you're going to be used for. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men, eighty priests. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast transgressed. Neither shall it be for thy honor from the Lord. Notice they told him. They said, You're not sanctified. It's not for you. It's for the priesthood. It's not going to be for your honor. Then Uzziah was wroth. That tells you that pride got in the way. He got defensive over that. He, got, he, he thought that as king, he should be able to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, how he wanted to do it. And what you find out in the kingdom of God is there, there may be a lot of things you thought you wanted to do. You just better give it a little time and let God help you with it. When it's the right time and the right place, God will give you the anointing, equip you appropriately, put you in the right place at the right time, and use you mightily. But it's not where you're going to overstep it and do these things. But it, God has to test your will. And so when he got mad. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. Oh, yeah, he, this is not a timid guy. He's been accustomed to having success. He's been accustomed to doing things and going places that others feared to go. He's just taken off. And the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked on him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, he himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in the several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. That's an amazing statement right there. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. He could no longer go there because of the leprosy that had come. And here was a man that had been mightily used, marvelously helped, marvelously helped. And all of the inventions and the things that had been done. There, there's a lot of times that we may not understand all that God's doing, but he's working in yours and my life. There's times when God has a way of humbling us and a way of bringing us to a place where we can begin to see it. We've got to get a kingdom mindset and begin to realize that it doesn't matter what we're asked to do. All of these things are for a purpose. They're for a reason. God knows what he's working out in yours and my life. It may look like it's a stupid little thing. It may look like it's, it doesn't make much sense. Anybody could do this. Why, why is the pastor having me? No, God knows what he's doing. You keep a right spirit. Keep a right spirit about it. Don't worry about it. it. It doesn't matter what you're asked to do. It's being willing to do it as unto God. You get that right, and God can use you mightily. God has to test you. He knows what's going to happen. 
to me. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 20. And uh, here was just finished up with Naaman. At the time that Naaman was brought to Elijah, Elijah or yeah, Elijah, and uh, he'd been told to go down to Jordan River and dip seven times. And, of course, we know that story as well. But uh, when it was all said and done, uh, Naaman wanted to give Elijah some gifts. And Elijah said, no, it's not a time for houses and lands and things. And he let him go. There was more to it than what we see. Because Naaman told Elijah, he said, I want you to pray that God will forgive me because I have to go as a servant to my master, the Syrian king, into the tabernacles of Rimon, which was a false god, a heathen god. He said, I, I just, I'm having to go there as a servant unto him, as master's hand. He said, but I pray that God would forgive me. Know that I know who he is. And so he rides away. And Gehazi, who was Elijah's servant. I want you to get a picture here that Elijah's servant, Gehazi, has been taking care of Elijah. He's been washing his feet. He's been bringing his water. He fixes his meals. He takes care of him. He's been his right-hand man. He's taking, doing these things. He's submitting his will. He's, it looks like everything is, is all good and in place, and, and uh, he's willing to do it. When Elijah, he didn't go out and tell Naaman to go dip. He sent Gehazi. He said, you go tell Naaman that he needs to go and dip in the river seven times. And so, you know, Gehazi had some moments and, and some times of kind of being in the limelight. And, uh, you know, he'd been submitting to Elijah all the way along. But when Elijah let this man ride away with his gold and his silver and his garments that he was going to give Elijah, something got a hold of Gehazi. Verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving in his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. This is displaying his will right here. He said, my master let him go. Didn't take anything from him. I don't agree with that. He should have charged him. He should have collected big time on this. And so I will do it. He maybe didn't, but I will do it. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of raiment. Man, just a bold-faced lie. And Naaman said, Be content. Take two talents, and he urged him, and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments, laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand, bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? He said, Thy servant went no whither. He lied again. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? 
Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? When Elisha begins to ask him that question, you see, there's something that you got to understand a little bit more here because of Naaman's position. Elisha understood that when Naaman came back there and was thankful for his healing, in his mind, all he needed to do was give the garments and the money, and he had paid for the doctor's services. But Elisha wanted him obligated to the Almighty God to praise him for the rest of his life. He wanted him to know that there was a God in Israel, and he didn't want him to ever forget it. He wasn't, gonna, it wasn't there to collect the money. It wasn't time for that. It was to leave that man obligated to where he would call out and begin to praise the almighty God. Gehazi did not see the picture. He did not understand why Elijah had let him go. But what Gehazi did by his action was as he stole Naaman's praise. From the Almighty God. These are sometimes things that sometimes it looks like it's just a simple matter. It looks like it isn't going to matter to anybody. It looks like it shouldn't bother anybody. Well, you know, if Elisha doesn't want them, I do. No big deal. He was going to give them anyhow. Not taking anything that any, from anybody. He didn't realize the spiritual significance of what was taking place. This is where, as we grow in God, and as God deals with our will, he brings us to places where he tests. And there's times when you and I may not realize what the spiritual significance. We may not realize where that person's at right at that moment that we're dealing with. And, and to overstep a bound. That, and God tests us and see what we're going to do, what we're going to respond to, how we're going to do with God. You can have a direct effect on individuals. Well, Elisha tells Gehazi, he said, The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from the presence, a leper as white as snow. Let me tell you, it's serious business, this thing of living for God and submitting our will. I know this has been a little bit on the negative side, but I want to help you get a picture here. That there is a seriousness to that as well. And so when we pick it up now, I want to go back and look at a young man in Second Chronicles 34 and 1. Second Chronicles 34 and 1. Because God has a purpose and he begins to draw. He begins to use you and I. He wants to use you. I believe that God's got a purpose. This is only the beginning. This is God's not done here yet. And neither can Brother Mayo do it all by himself. It's going to take you and I. It's going to take everyone that is here that's got to be able to respond to the kingdom of God and be used of God. Let me tell you, the enemy's not going to be slack and doing whatever he can to create trouble, to cause a different thought and mindset, and to begin to do some things. And God allows these things to bring it about to see what we're, our will's going to do, what we're going to respond to, how we're going to yield to the word, how we're going to yield to the man of God, how we're going to respond to these things and walk with God. And so the tests will come. Now in 2 Chronicles 34 and 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. I just notice there's something in him. It's got this propensity to want to seek God. He begins to want to seek God. He's eight year, It's in the eighth year of his reign. He's about 16 years old. And something's got a hold of him. He, this is a young man that has made a determination. He wants to seek God Almighty. He's wanting to be yielded unto God. I'm telling you, that's where it's at. His understanding that he wanted to be used of God in the kingdom of God, to be moved by the Spirit of God. It's not for anybody or anything else, but it's as unto him. It's realizing that he and he alone is worthy of our praise and worship. And he said, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Where did he get those ideas? You know, where, where did Josiah all of a sudden get this idea at age 16? I mean, he's been, he's been reigning as a king. Obviously, at eight years old, that's a tough time to try to be reigning as a king when you're a kid. Obviously, you've got some leadership somewhere. You've got some elders somewhere. You've got some men that you're looking to. You've got some men that uh, have been able to help you walk in your walk with God. Let me tell you, God can use you at whatever age, but it, it's going to take you having some elders in your life somewhere that are going to help you learn how to walk and be, and be effective in the kingdom of the living God. And so... When you begin to look at it, something had been put in him. I, I believe they, there were some older elders. There were some men that knew what the word said. There were some priests that began to teach him these things were not appropriate. It was not right to have these idols and these high places and these groves and these carved images. God had spoken against it. His commandments have stated it explicitly. They began to put this into this young man, and something began to get a hold of him that made him realize we don't see here in the Scripture where God just directly commanded him to go start tearing these groves down. We don't read that God just explicitly told him to go and, and start destroying those molten images. But this is a young man that understands what the Word of God has said. has got some drive in him. And he's in a position of leadership, and he begins to take responsibility for his actions. This is what God is looking for. There's got to be a time and a place in our walk with God. But it's not just a matter of keeping to coming, and there's nothing wrong. Let me say it so you hear it clearly. Nothing wrong with coming and seeking God at an altar. That's the right thing to do. But there comes a point in time when you've got to go beyond just coming and back and back and back again to a place of moving forward and looking for the direction and seeing God use you in a mighty way and having the will of God being performed in your life. He began to do some things. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down the groves and the carved images, the molten images. He break in pieces, made dust of them, strode it upon the graves of them that sacrificed unto them. He burnt the bones of the priests upon the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Wow. That's a guy that wasn't cutting, the, he, he wasn't letting grass grow under his feet. He began to see some things that needed to be changed. He got with the program. And as a king, God began to bless him and began to give him great and glory. 
there. And the Lord began to tell him, drop it down to verse 26. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. And because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have heard, even heard thee also, saith the Lord. It was a humbleness of attitude, humbleness of spirit. It was a love for the word. It was an understanding of the others. There was something there that these things culminated together to see an effective work for the kingdom of the living God. It wasn't just totally his idea. There was drive. There was a lot of things going. But it, again, had to come back to the word of God. Again, had to come back to the man of God. It, it was a culmination of these things. Now, taking it just a little bit further. When you begin to look at Daniel in Babylonian captivity, let me tell you, it didn't start there. It started back in Jerusalem when there was corruption. It started back in Jerusalem when there was idolatry set up in the temple of the living God. It started back in Jerusalem when there was probably very few of the men that were standing for truth and righteousness. But something had been planted in Daniel's heart and mind. And he understood what the word of God said. He'd gotten a hold of it for himself. He was a man who prayed. He was, there were was some things that were in him. There were some things that were established, some things that had been settled for him. And this is part of where it comes into that second phase there of beginning to go forward. There's some things that have got to be settled. Your prayer life's got to be in place. You're, you're, you're walking with God. It's, it's not a question if you're going to be there. It is a, it's, it's a settled principle. You're going to pray. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to be in the house of God. There's just some things that are set already without a question. And so when Daniel arrives there in Babylon and they want him to eat the king's meat, Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Who was going to hold him accountable? Nobody except God. But he'd come to a place where this had been tested. He'd come to a place where God could use him. This was a settled principle in his life. He was determined he was not going to defile himself with the king's meat and the king's wine. There wasn't anybody else going to support his position. Nobody was requiring of him to do it. Nobody was just putting him there under a guilt trip. There was nothing there except the word of God that he knew down in his heart. It was purposed in his heart. It was something he had given unto God, and he was determined. Let me tell you, this is where God begins to use you, is when there's things that are established and settled in your heart, determined there that you're going to walk with God and give him your will. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here again, you think about these three boys. All the rest of their, their Hebrew friends all bowed to Nebuchadnezzar's image. There's nobody making them do that. They didn't get a memo from the priests in Jerusalem. No, this was something down in their heart. 
They weren't bound down to a graven image. They weren't bound down. It didn't matter where they were. They understood this could cost them their life. But there was something that was settled in them. You have to understand, this had been a case of submitting their will to the will of God long before they got to this stage of the game. This was just the culmination. This was just the exemplary activity that demonstrated what they were. And so they said in chapter 3 and verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They wanted him to know whether he delivers us by living or he takes us out of here by death. In either case, your part's done. Be it known, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And right there, their will is demonstrated. Their will is aligned with the word of God. Their will is in place there, and they know, and they are standing on that, and their will is in that place, and God honors their response. God honors their stand. God honors that, that will that is demonstrated and in alignment with the things of God. This is what God is looking for. Sometimes there's times when you're going to fast, and others are not going to understand. Well, it's not that. That's, a, that's something that you have chosen to do. And when you bring yourself into that place and you determine, I I'm going to. I will do that. It's done as unto God. God recognizes that. Now, you can look at Isaiah 58, and we won't go there, but the prophet told him, he said, some of you fast for strife and debate. He said, you've got a wrong motive in mind. You're wanting to exercise your will. You're wanting to somehow believe that the fasting you're doing is going to change the will of God. No, it's not. It's not for that. It's there to loose the bands of wickedness. It's there to see the oppressed go free. It's there for a purpose, there to see the kingdom of God go forward. It's you and I getting it aligned with his will and understanding where he's wanting to take it and what he wants to do with it. It's keeping our spirit and our attitude right in the kingdom of the living God. When you begin to think about it, when Jesus first was tempted, again, he was tempted of the devil. He responded. We look at it there. And again, it was by the word of God. It is written, Satan. It is written, Satan. It is written, Satan. But at the end, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to realize that it's Jesus Christ who is standing, is, is kneeling there praying. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Again, when you begin to think about it right there, this again was a test of a will. It was a test of a will. He could have called 10,000 angels. Yeah, that was a test of a will, whether he was going to comply and complete the will of the Father. What was he going to do? What was that flesh going to yield to? What was going to be determined there? Here again, the will was in place because moving ahead, 
If he was going to submit himself there to the will of the Father, it was going to be yielding himself to the men that were going to take him from there, the ones who were going to beat him, the ones who were going to put the cross on his back, the ones who were going to cause him to have to carry it there toward Calvary and there to submit himself to the nails that were being driven, there to have his side pierced. You begin to look at it. It had to be a place where he began to see beyond this. It's the submission to that will that's going to bring about to every man, woman, and child the opportunity to have sins forgiven and washed in the blood of the Lamb and be filled with the Spirit of the living God. It would not have happened if Jesus had called the angels. It would not have happened if he had not yielded to it. But that will had to be submitted to. It was brought there for the purpose of the kingdom of the living God. It was there for a reason. It, it could not be bypassed. It could not be diminished. It was something there that not necessarily that he wanted to go through, but he understood. It was there at that time time that he must submit to the will of the Father. You take a look at a man like the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked three times, stoned and left for dead, beaten with rods, where they put their feet in stocks and beat them with metal rods or hardwood rods and broke every bone in their feet. Most men never walked after one time, yet Paul says three times. Three times was I beaten with 39 stripes. Now, let me tell you, this is not, this does, those kind of things just don't happen to people who sit back and dream about what needs to be done. It was somebody who was active. It was somebody who had a burden. It was somebody who understood the kingdom of God's got to go forward. It was somebody who had had some drive. It was somebody who had some get up and go. It was somebody who had an urgency of the hour. It was somebody who understood the urgency that the word had been put in. And he'd, he'd been told there by Ananias what great things he would suffer for his namesake. It was a surrendering of his will, and yet at the same time having a will that when he walked up on Mars Hill, looked around and didn't see anybody particularly, got to looking and seen an altar to the unknown God. And all of a sudden the urgency of the hour said, let me tell you who this unknown God is. Used of God mightily used of God, following the leading of the Holy Ghost. Over and over, you begin to see how the Apostle Paul was used mightily in God. But it was time and time again. It was not there for his glory. It was not there to exalt himself. It was. He told them how many times. He said, I took care of my own needs. He said, I, you know, he told them how he made tents, how he took care. You know, if we look at it sometimes by today's standards, the Apostle Paul should have been riding in a, in a gilded chariot, staying in a five-star hotel, preaching in the, in the you know, the amphitheaters. But no, that's not what was the case. But it was the will of God that was being performed. They begin to tell him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be taken. Don't go there. We'll never see your face again. No. 
That's where God's taken you. And I'm ready to die for him and move forward. No one wrote the books that he wrote. The Lord knew what needed to happen. He needed to slow that guy down long enough to start writing so that you and I could have the books that we have today. He was a go-getting machine. The Lord knew what he needed to do. I'm sure that wasn't necessarily the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul wanted to slow down and do. And yet, it became such a tremendous blessing to the apostolic church. And you look at it, and God has a purpose in what he is doing in yours and my life and what he's doing in this church today. Let me tell you, God knows where he's taking you. But there's got to be a willingness to submit to the spirit of the living God and let God do a mighty work. It's that yielding unto the spirit. It's that yielding of our will. This is why when we look back there at Ezekiel and he said, he said, teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. There's a man that perhaps you've heard his name. John Goddard. It's been a few years back. John Goddard was quite an individual. At age 15, he sat down and wrote a list of 127 things he wanted to accomplish in his lifetime. Now, these weren't just go to McDonald's and Burger King. and <laughs> No, these were <laughs> climb Mount Everest, go to the mouth of the Amazon. You know, I mean, it's things like this. I mean, it, you know, learn how to fly, learn how to skydive. I mean, you know, he he had this list. You can look it up online, and they'll give you the whole list of all the things he wanted to do. 127 things he set his mind to do. Of those in his lifetime, from the age 15, to, I believe he was he was well in his 70s, but he accomplished 102 of the 127. Very impressive record. All with sheer willpower. The sad part of it is, is he never ever brought his will into alignment with God Almighty. When you begin to realize it doesn't matter what you accomplish in this life. Those things have their place. But it's what you're going to do for the kingdom of the living God. It's what you're going to do to see the revival moving forward. It's going to be what God wants to do in your life and my life. Somewhere there's got to be some things put in mind and heart. God, if you use me, wherever you want me to be used, however you want me to be used, whatever you want to do with me, God. Hallelujah. Let's stand his aid. Thank God. I'm telling you what, God wants to use you mightily. And it takes a place where we're submitted to God in the Holy Ghost. But we've also got to have something in us that wants to move forward and see the kingdom of God move forward. Whatever it takes to see the kingdom of God going forward. It doesn't matter what we do. Years ago, when I was under my pastor, Brother Paul Dugas, and uh, we were building a new sanctuary in Portland. And uh, he knew that I'd been involved in building and things and when I'd gone there and 
been there for some time, and and he said, he told me, he said, Brother Neff, you, you line up the men, get the materials here, delegate what you want done. Well, I was all well and good. I was glad to help wherever in whatever capacity I could. And so uh, we began this. But the part that really bugged me was while I had the men doing these things, delegating certain responsibilities, getting tasks accomplished, answering questions, my pastor's over there with a shovel just leveling gravel under the joists. And I went and said something to him about that. He said, no. He said, I'm just doing what I need to do. You do what I ask you to do. I always felt funny. That <laughs> didn't seem like. And yet, in his mind, he was a kingdom-minded man. It didn't matter what needed to be done. Didn't matter the position. Didn't matter what this world recognized. It's what needed to be done in the kingdom of God. Wherever and whatever. When you and I get a right spirit about it, you can't be asked to do anything that's beneath your dignity. It's submitting our will to the will of God and realizing the kingdom of God's going forward. I tell you what, I don't know where you're at right today. Everybody's at different levels. But I, I do know this, every one of us struggle at different times in different ways with our will. But there was a prayer that Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. I believe that it is morning right here today. God wants to do the work. I tell you what, that's what it takes when it comes to receiving the Holy Ghost. I tell you, God wants you to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to be filled with his spirit. But it doesn't come until you're ready to submit your will. It's got to be that place where you are ready to submit unto his spirit and let him take over. When he does... Then it, 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 speaking in tongues is not a difficult thing, except when you're trying to do it. When you yield to God and you just come to that place of just loving him and forget about everybody else and forget about that and just do the part you're to do, praise him. Just praise him out of a heart of thanksgiving. Thank him for forgiving you. Thank him for reaching out. You begin to love him with all of your heart. And I'll tell you what, God does all the rest. He takes care of that. He knows when you yield. And when you yield, it, it'll come just that easy. I believe this morning God's still got it. He's got it for you today. God wants to see you filled with his spirit. God wants to see you forgiven of your sins. You just got to be willing, like I've told people before. You haven't done anything that's hidden from God. He's just looking for somebody that's got enough guts to face up to it and say, yes, Lord, you got my number. That's what repentance is about. Taking care of it and getting it right with God. Getting our pride out of the way and submitting to him. When we repent, baptized in his name, filled with his spirit. Oh, I tell you, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know what all you need this morning, but I do know there's a mighty God right now that's ready to meet the needs. Hallelujah. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you.
And thank God, God is ready to do a work here this morning. His word is doing a work. Let's come find a place. Let's pray. With one thank God. Let God begin to do a work in your life here today. It's a place and a time of repentance, a time of seeking the Almighty God. We need God here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may have been in church a long time, but you didn't realize you need to submit yourself to God today. Yield to Him. Let God further you and take you into greater dimensions in the kingdom of God. God has a plan for you. God has a place for you. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Don't let yourself be victimized. Look around and think that everybody else gets used and not you. No, you just need to realize you need to submit to God. Hallelujah. Begin to let him use you mightily. Hallelujah. Get a different perspective. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. God wants you to be able to be touched mightily by the spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, you're the awesome God. You're a mighty God here this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God, my God. Hallelujah. Yielded unto you, God. Yielded unto you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord, just to surrender it to you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord God, here today, Lord, use us. Lord God, use these precious people. Lord God, use them mightily in the kingdom of the living God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, that we not fail the test, God, but that we come to a place of submission. God, yield it unto you in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. My Jesus, you want to do, you want to use a mind. God, you want to use a mind. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, let us give it to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 